welcome to episode number 183 of the Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, and over the next 45 minutes, I'll be delivering the top cybersecurity news of the day and providing expert analysis on each of these stories, on what it means to you as a practitioner, or if you're looking to break in the industry, we got you covered. Shout out and thanks to this stream sponsor, the one and only Barricade Cyber Solutions. Cyber criminals have stolen your company's data and derailed your business operations. Barricade Cyber Solutions will help you resolve this ransomware attack and get your business back on track. Go over to barricadecyber.com. You can set up a no hassle, no obligation uh, conversation with Eric Taylor. He's a wonderful uh, practitioner and a great guy. And just talk about what ransomware is going to look like uh, if <laughs> what it's going to look like if it happens to you, and basically like having an on-call fire department. I want to remind you if you hold professional certifications that require CPEs, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, just like this one right here, is worth half a CPE. Indisputably worth half a CPE. So. It stacks two and a half a week, 10 a month. Be sure to document literally the easiest and I would argue the most enjoyable way to uh, earn CPEs. Just say what's up in chat. Say hashtag team replay, hashtag team live. If you're live with us, say where you're at. You know, are you in? We always have South Africa, Ireland. Uh, Sasha's from Germany. Kimberly's in Miami. Where, where are you at, right? The idea is that you document it. It gets burned into the stream permanently. And if an auditor ever pushes back on you, you've got indisputably forensically sound evidence to be, here you go. Also, just a pro tip, I wouldn't document every single half a CPE. Just like either do it monthly or quarterly. Go into your uh, certification body thing, your member portal, and do Simply Cyber, you know, January 1st to March 31st, 30 credits, 30 CPEs. That's the way to do it. It's the best of both worlds. Now, if you are live, love it. I see that we're at 70. You guys are stacking up 70 plus right now. Uh, thanks for being here so much. I appreciate it. The 10 a.m. start did jar a couple people. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. If you're watching on replay, go ahead and drop comment hashtag team replay if you're a member of that faction. Thanks for catching the stream. All the same. The CPEs count just the same. Now, if you are watching on Team Replay, you have the benefit of time travel, you lucky superhero. So if you don't want to listen to the morning pleasantries, go ahead and just jump forward, either grab the slider and pull it about two minutes forward. Or if you're listening on your audio podcast app of choice, which by the way, you may or may not know that this is posted onto audio podcasts, which you can get on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the major ones. Uh, right after the show ends, okay? So either way, you can skip ahead a couple minutes or you can pull the slider. The short of it is you can get right to the news. So when this, when this guy here changes to news, we're off and running. But as I always like to do, I'm gonna welcome people in the chat and say good morning. I didn't even, guys, I haven't even done my music. Let me get my music going. See, seriously. You know, new operation. I will say class went well this morning. Thank you for understanding. I did get messages. I got audio text messages. I got Discord DMs. I'm sh I haven't logged into LinkedIn. I'm sure they're there. People, people are, uh, their, their routine is rattled because it's not 8 a.m. Someone said to me, my, my day doesn't feel right because you're not you're not in the background at 8 a.m., uh, John, while I'm drinking my coffee. I've already had my pot of coffee, so I'm now I'm drinking water. Class went well this morning. Students have no idea 
how awesome the semester is going to be. I want to thank everybody for being here. Uh, if if the 10 a.m. slot does work better for you, I'm happy for you. If it doesn't work better for you, I'm sorry. Uh, but it's just what we have to do while I'm teaching this semester. Okay, that's how it goes. What's up, Northeast Texas? Munchkins in the house. Bill Green, Tyler, Bernice, good to see you. Hey, Reggie, you're a regular. I love it. I love it. I love it. Guys, got. I, I continue to pimp out my my new soundboard. <laughs> out with the old soundboard, in with the new. We are ready to rock and roll. Josh Mason showed up at eight and was like, what happened? I did pin a comment into the YouTube stream uh, reminding people. I did communicate it uh, every episode the last week uh, just to make sure that we would minimize that. Luxembourg in the house. What's up, Europe? Sebastian Felt, thanks for being here on LinkedIn. This is great. James Driscoll, always nice to see you. Kids back to school. There we go, Shane Prevost. Mm. Guys, so we ran the we ran the the survey um, yesterday about thirty to sixty minutes. Um, it was seventy percent sixty minutes, thirty percent thirty minutes. Um, but I got some DMs. I thought about it. Let's try to target for forty five minutes. I will make a effort to split the baby in half and go for forty five minutes on the stream, respectful of everybody's time, uh, but delivering value. We'll give it a shot, guys. This thing's always a work in progress. We're not letting perfection get in the way of progress. You feel me? All right, guys. Let's get into the news, and then we'll play a little grab a grab booty uh, after after the stories are over. Leonardo, good to see you. Red teamer Leonardo, who's talking about VPN and out of Argentina so we can get South America. Love it, love it, love it. Dan Reardon's in the house. Thanks, Munchkin. I, do, I like the hour stream, too. Poner Joe. I hope you enjoyed sleeping in, Poner Joe. All right, guys, let's get into the news, okay? Let's see if this works. Come on. Pretty headlines. It's Thursday, August 25th, 2022. Microsoft reveals Nobelium's magic web. Security researchers at the company discovered a technique used by the Russian-linked threat group to maintain persistent access to compromised networks. Dubbed Magic Web, this uses a malicious DLL to manipulate claims passed in tokens generated by an Active Directory Federated Services server. This ultimately manipulates existing user authentication certificates. This requires Nobelium to first have highly privileged credentials, gain access to a network, and gain admin privileges in Active Directory. Given these conditions, Magic Web appears highly targeted. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, so this is... Whatever. I mean, this is slightly concerning, but I'm not super worried about it. Nobelium, uh, advanced threat actor. Um, basically, guys, uh, in, in, in real practice, right? Because SaaS solutions are everywhere, cloud, cloud-based applications, Office 365, you know, whatever app you're using, Dropbox, Box, um, TikTok, like what, whatever you're using, right? you can use federated authentication. And the nice thing from a business perspective and from an information security perspective is that you have one AD credential, Active Directory credential, right? So it's like Geoser, it's Simply Cyber, right? And you can use it to authenticate to all these different services. A, it's reducing friction for your end users because they have one username and password to remember. B, it's awesome from an information security perspective because when you cut off their AD account, you sever access to all of the cloud solutions that they were accessing as well. We talked about 
uh, dormant user accounts just the other day and how it's a it's a major risk, right? You have to do account reviews. It's a pain in the butt. People leave. They still have access to cloud systems. So federated authentication is best practice. It is the way to go unless you're dealing with some super sensitive system and then maybe you want to do unique accounts, right? Nobelium's come up with this thing, Magic Web. Um, basically, they have to compromise your environment. They have to get in AD. It said highly, uh, they didn't say highly privileged, but they said like, you know, super account or whatever. Like in the story, he didn't say exactly, but it sounds like a either a domain admin or a sysadmin. Domain admin is like the God account, basically a global tenant, whatever you want to call it. The idea is that they get all the way in and then they can start generating um, fake tokens, fake kind of uh, certificates, essentially, that says you've already authenticated. And then it's like a golden key that they just start walking into. In order to set this up and execute on it, it sounds like you have to be like really deep into an environment that you've already compromised. And then, you know, you're, you're generating this ticket, this golden key uh, for very specific purposes. So as they mentioned, it seems highly targeted. It seems very, very espionage-like. Um, so interesting from a security perspective, I'm not super worried about this attack right now um, for my organization, for how I protect my org. Um, it is a very, very cool attack. It is a very effective attack. Uh, it would be difficult to detect, but hopefully your defenses in place would capture the initial compromise, the lateral movement, the AD compromise, right? So by the time the magic web and the fake tokens and stuff happen, like you have many problems along the way if you're not detecting or stopping the initial setup for this attack. So that's all I'll say about this one. But this one is really interesting from a pure, um, you know, hat tip perspective of threat actors doing really good threat actor stuff. Okay, Leonardo says it's uh, most common for getting an initial foothold. Yep. Yep, exactly. So Leonardo brings up the point: if you can get a, if you can get a, a compromised system, a first box, right? If a, if someone is driving around in their regular domain admin, which happens often, unfortunately, uh, IT staff really should have a general user account and then a domain admin that they elevate to. Um, and and really, they shouldn't even use domain admin accounts. They should elevate privilege to domain admin privileges. They shouldn't be logging in as domain admins. But to Leonardo's point, if the creds are on a box and you use something like Mimikatz or you dump creds some other way, um, you've got you've got the you've got the golden you know crown jewels there. So I uh, got to be mindful of that. Those emerge on large scale pro Western influence campaigns. A joint report from the Stanford Internet Observatory Cyber Policy Center and the social media intelligence company Graphica detailed a series of interwoven campaigns, which run from March 2012 through August 2022. These used dozens of Facebook profile pages, Instagram accounts, and over 150 Twitter accounts to push narratives promoting American interests. While not publicly attributing the activity, Twitter did say its operation presumably originated in the U.S. and Great Britain, while Meta identified the U.S., this appears to be part of the trans-regional web initiative run by the U.S. Researchers found it didn't seem to generate much engagement with little likes and retweets and only about 19% of asset accounts with over 1,000 followers. All right, so this shouldn't surprise anyone. Um, basically, you know, social media, people like normal humans go to social media to get news, to get information, to socialize. That's why it's called social media, to engage uh, and obviously, we have seen a 
weaponized uh, very effective ways, including um, Cambridge Analytica. If you watch the Netflix documentary, The um, the Great Hack, um, that'll that'll really show you how social media can be weaponized in a very deliberate manner. Um, so this shouldn't surprise anyone. Um, it, the fact that it's pro-Western influence campaign, that that's fine to me. With all due respect, I don't care what the what the narrative is or what the message is because it it's pro-Western today and it could be pro-communism tomorrow and pro-Russia the next day. It doesn't matter. What matters is the the fact that this ecosystem doesn't have uh, controls in it in a way that can prevent this type of um, bot army, uh, you know, activity, right? And basically the idea is that a bunch of bot accounts get generated and then one kind of overarching master can launch a campaign where these bots are uh, echoing each other or pushing narratives or using like um, inflammatory language in, in order to incite some type of like viral messaging um, campaign. So, I mean, this is part of the reason why Elon, when he bought, um, go ahead and throw those Elon uh, emotes up in chat if you're a squad member. Um, Elon, part of buying Twitter, he wanted to check how many bot accounts there were uh, because because of the, you know this type of activity. Um, now the results of that bot uh, survey you know remains to be seen, but. Any social media can do it, right? So it talks about Facebook here, but Facebook, Instagram, they're kind of one and the same with Meta now, Twitter, TikTok. Um, I haven't heard of TikTok bots at all, but it wouldn't surprise me since like 50% of um, the social media market is being done in TikTok right now. Um, anyways, so the good news is if you want to dig into uh, information warfare, if you're in an Intel position, um, not like, not like threat Intel for SOC analysts, but like you're, you're making policy, you work in federal, you're doing research in higher ed. Um, this is really interesting. And this report in the story, um, is probably going to be beneficial. I've clicked on the link here. Let's check what it says really quickly. I'm kind of curious. Loading, 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 Bueller, Bueller. Okay. No one's got time for that. Next story. Stolen NFTs prove big business. Ooh. According to the blockchain research firm Elliptic, threat actors stole over $100 million worth of NFTs in 2022 through July. While the so-called crypto winner saw prices of NFTs drop significantly, analysts did not see a drop in scam activity. Instead, July saw a record number of NFTs reported stolen. Cybercriminals averaged $300,000 worth of crypto assets per scam, although presumably many more thefts remain unreported. Okay. All right. Where's my Finfrock? I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it. Love it. Love it. Yep. Finfrock loves himself some crypto. All right, guys. It, it, this like <laughs> this this gets the uh, the winner winner chicken dinner of like most non surprising story of the day, guys. Hundred million dollars stolen in the last year. I have told you many times. We've seen it on stream many times. Like the NFT crypto space is totally unregulated, guys. There's no law enforcement. There's no authority. There's no geographical boundaries, right? These things are worth ridiculous amounts of money. There's rug pulls all over the place, meaning, hey, like buy my coin, pump and dump, and then uh, I'm just going to steal all your money and then close my Discord server down. And you have no retribution. You have no means to recover your money, 
unless you're Colonial Pipeline and you have the power of the U.S. government somehow. Uh, but that was a ransomware talk, attack, not NFTs. But, you know, I digress. Okay. NFTs are ridiculous. They don't really have any utility yet, but people are all into it. Crypto bros. Um, we're, we're seeing a little bit, but guys, it's so easy because so many people don't know how to protect their assets right now that criminals are totally jumping in on stealing, right? We saw all sorts of thievery. Seth Green just recently had his Bored Ape Yacht Club ape stolen, and then he had to buy it back from another person who bought it illegally, right? Again, someone steals your artwork or you, someone steals your bike and then sells the bike to someone else. You can't, I'm pretty sure you can't go recover the bike from that someone else, right? Or maybe you can, I don't know. All I know is it, it was fenced to, to an unknown, unknowingly, uh, or un, they weren't aware it was stolen. The person who, who bought it hot then sold it to Seth Green for more money. Like quick, instant wins. Guys, the average NFT scam makes 300 grand a year. Right? 300 grand a year. I mean, uh, excuse me, 300 grand a scam. I don't know about you guys, but 300 grand is more than I make a year. So if I can do one scam and on average make $300,000, and by the way, guys, these scams. Like I, I've seen YouTube videos, you can do an entire NFT project soup to nuts from inception to cashing out in two weeks if you really want to push it, right? And on average, I've seen them make like a million dollars, these rug pulls, right? So on average, 300,000 a scam, you could do it in two weeks. Guys, you can knock out a year's salary in two weeks, like let's say a month because it's your first time being a criminal. You still get 11 months off and you're making and you've got cash money, right? Great cash, homie. Thank you, Randy. So, this is not going to change. Here. That's not going to change. I'm not surprised. We are in this crypto winter area where crypto is tanking and a lot of these crypto investment firms are investing in other cryptos, so there's a cascading effect as these things go down. But guys, until this thing gets sorted out, just like ransomware, it's not going to go anywhere. It is lucrative. Follow the money. Threat actors want money. This works. And there's very little retribution right now because there's no laws in place. Really? <sighs> Anyways. Let's do some spice. Fancy! Tether ignores crypto sanctions. Earlier this month, the U.S. Treasury Department sanctioned the crypto mixer Tornado Crash over allegations it supported money laundering efforts from North Korea and other threat actors. According to an analysis of data from Dune Analytics by The Washington Post, the crypto company Tether so far failed to block accounts associated with the service. Tether's CTO, Paulo Ardono, said it has not been contacted by U.S. officials with a request to freeze transactions with Tornado Crash. The Hong Kong-based Tether does not operate in the U.S., so its legal obligations remain unclear. Traditionally, companies have been more proactive about complying with Treasury sanctions. This signals the ambiguity the department may face as it increasingly deals with digital assets. Right. Okay. Like, okay, hold on. Oh. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. Hello from, from the... From the office of obviously, like I literally, this is what we said. We said this when the U.S. Treasury Department put the sanction on. Bro, 
you don't control the internet, right? Yeah, tornado cash. It's it's obviously used for nefarious purposes. Like a small sliver uses it for privacy, but by and large, Tornado Cash's customer base is criminals laundering money. So I'm not down with it. I appreciate the Treasury doing this, but dude, Tether operates out of Hong Kong. Like your rules don't apply here, right? Like these aren't the droids you're looking for. Like I get it, but again, all of this stuff is operating in cyberspace, in the metaverse, in areas that don't have geopolitical authority in any capacity. You would need like a global agreement that this type of thing isn't allowed, which you're never going to get, uh, for to, to have any efficacy, right? So I don't know what the Treasury Department would do. I mean, if you're going to use Tether, right, again, again, like you can be anonymous with your Bitcoin wallets. Right. So if you're going to use Tether, you could VPN. So you're not in the United States. Like individuals can hide. Right. And criminal enterprises are already trying to hide. So again, it's like, I think I said it on stream that other day. Like it's like when the Department of Justice issues an indictment for like the members of Lazarus Group or, or like Iranian threat actors for the, um, for the Mumbai Institute. Like, yeah, you can do that. And if they move to the United States, you'll get them. But it's like posturing. Like, I get you got to do it. But man, like, it's not going to stop anyone. Seriously. Hold on. Let me. Like, that, I mean, I'm like, I'm beside myself. I'm beside myself. Let's do the read. And now thanks to this week's episode sponsor, Code 42. Surprise, surprise. Five years from now, Jamie, who's resigning today, will ring the NASDAQ bell officially launching her company on the public market. And what you'll soon realize is that Jamie stole your most valuable data to start her new company. Learn how Code42 Insider can stop data theft and protect your organization's most valuable assets. Visit Code42.com slash show me to learn more. All right. So this is the read. So let's take a hot minute. Uh, thanks, simply. Uh, thanks, simply cyber. Thank. Um, oh my God, CISO series for helping us with this. I just want to take a quick minute here. Um, let's let's yeah. Look at me. Look at me with my my big boy uh, overlays. Okay, so really quick, guys. If you don't know, it is Thursday. A couple more days. If you haven't signed up yet, um, I send out this actionable Intel email every Monday morning. Um, and it's got three pieces of intel. It's a very quick read, three bullet points. It is, here is something to do for your end users, like actionable, like here's what you should do, exactly. Something for your peers, here's something you should do with them, and something for executives. If you work in information security, this has value to you. If you wanna work in information security and you're not quite there yet, um, I'm not sure if this would have value. It could be interesting um, for a job interview if you talk about actionable ways to do, um, you know, to do information security. But all you have to do is sign up. It's no spam. It's it's literally just once a week, Mondays. We ran the pilot. I got great feedback. People are digging it. Go to, if you do exclamation point newsletter in chat right now, it should pop up with this URL uh, for you to go and sign up. Okay, it's going to be sent out Monday morning. We'll talk about it on Monday on stream because it'll come. I'll schedule it for like 6 a.m. because it seems like ConvertKit, the group that I use, um, sends it in stages. So I want everybody to have it before the stream. Um, 
yeah, so that's that's that. Okay, quick quick little read today on that. All right, here we go. Ethereum to go proof of stake in September. Ethereum developers confirmed that the popular blockchain will transition from proof of work to proof of stake on September 6th. This follows successful upgrades on all public test nets. The transition will come in two upgrades, one named Bellatrix on September 6th, followed by a Paris upgrade between September 10th and 20th. The Ethereum Foundation warned operators to download necessary client upgrades before Bellatrix drops. All right. So I, I thank you for the sub. Obviously, if you guys don't know, um, that alert box uh, above me, like when someone subs, uh, you get Carl. That is Car That is who Carl is. Uh, and Carl's rocking out, welcoming the new sub. So thank you. Um, I genuinely appreciate it. I wanted any opportunity to to jam Carl up into our streams, guys. This is the project plan for Ethereum switching from proof of whatever to proof of stake, right? I, I again, I don't get into the crypto world. Proof of work versus proof of stake. I'll, I'll leave it to someone else. I'll leave it to Finfrock. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. All I can say is from an information security perspective, and as we talked in this story back here, uh, where is it? This story right here. However, this changes the way that threat actors are going to operate. They will adapt and they will adjust and they will find a way to scam the crap out of this. Okay? So just just be mindful of that. Just be mindful of that. Okay, I, I unfortunately, I don't have much to tell on this story. Hopefully, uh, this happens in... What are the dates on this? August 22nd? That's three days ago. So September 10th through 20th, it looks like the cutover. So stay tuned. We might have like a Y2K if you want to... If you want to age yourself, the Y2K bug, we may have one of those situations on September 20th as they transition these two things. I don't know. I have like 30 cents in Ethereum that I got just to understand the minimum amount. Uh, so not much of a cyber story here. Sorry, people. Twitter shuffles safety teams. According to a staff memo seen by Reuters, Twitter will combine its health experience team with the Twitter service team under a new health products and services group. This group will review user-reported profiles for toxic content and take down spam accounts. This might ordinarily seem like a fairly banal corporate reorganization, but this news comes a day after recent whistleblower allegations shed new scrutiny on Twitter's response to spam accounts and overall corporate security. Yeah, okay, whatever. Like, this has nothing to do with information security, okay? Like, okay, so they're merging these two teams and the idea is that they're going to help uh, reduce toxic content and bots that promote toxic content. So, good. Uh, if anything, if anything, to me, this stinks of, um, look over here, look over here, right? So like Mudge comes public as a whistleblower and says that they have horrible internal information security controls, that they are prime for an attack, right? If they're not already compromised. And Twitter's like, oh crap, we literally can't turn a cruise ship around in a minute. So let's do something else splashy. Let's merge these two teams on a topic that's really hot and relevant right now. Toxicity and bots. Hey, everybody, look over here, right? That's what I think's happening. Guys, we covered the story. It was the top story yesterday. Peter Zapko, aka Mudge, 
uh, was in charge of security at Twitter for two years. He finally got fired. Not finally, he got fired. And then he came out and said that their internal controls are absolute hot trash. Um, and they are very susceptible to attack. So now this story comes out and Twitter's doing a good thing with, uh, you know, health of products and end user experience. Again, I apologize. Kind of a kind of a slow cyber news day, guys. Uh, a bunch of crypto and, 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 you know, I don't even know what to call this. Like fluff, right? I mean, good, good. I hope Twitter calms down the toxicity in the bots, right? It's kind of, it's kind of uh, not good um, for, for many reasons, but um, whatever. Plex resets passwords. The makers of the media server announced the security precaution, setting a potential data breach. The Plex team discovered that a third party was able to access a limited subset of data that includes emails, usernames, and encrypted passwords. The attackers did not access a separate server holding payment data. Plex says it hashed and secured passwords in accordance with best practices, indicating limited utility in stealing that data. The company recommends enabling two-factor authentication and logging out of all connected devices as a further precaution. Okay. Okay. Interesting. There's a, there's a bigger there's a bigger uh, lesson learned here that I'll share that I'll share with you guys. Okay. Check it out. Plex is a really, really cool media streaming server service. Um, if you if you guys remember back in the day, Cody and um, I forget the the predecessor to Cody, but basically you have a media library, and then this is like a front end interface to that media library. So think like Netflix, except for your home catalog, right? Which makes it really cool because you're not popping in DVDs and all that. You, you rip them all. You got a library. You've got a, a cool front end interface and then you do it. Also, you can share your library with friends and family and loved ones, right? So then they can access. So I have a Plex server. I have access to a couple other people's Plex servers, right? It's a very, very cool service. Look into it if you're interested in media, right? Come on over to the Movie Love channel in the Discord server. Not cyber, but it's all good times in there. Anyways, here's the bigger story. Plex. Looks like they had um, identified some suspicious activity in, their, in a database that had something to do with user access. They report that their um, end user passwords have been compromised. Here is the opportunity. One, if you want, you can share this with your end users. They may or may not know what Plex is. Two, if you use, like this is a great opportunity to highlight password reuse issues, password um, uh, complexity and all that stuff. So listen, if, if you're reusing the same password and you had a password in Plex, that's the same password you log into your bank accounts, you got to change it in both places. Your password is burned. This is an opportunity to teach about password vaults, okay? It is a personal it, this is personal, right? So no one's probably using Plex at work, right? But it is personal. Oh, there we go. There's Carl. So if if they're using it and they're reusing passwords, they, they've now exposed themselves because threat actors can take that username and password and go log into a bunch of different stuff and see if it works. So you don't want to do password reuse. And that and how do you how do you manage 725 different passwords? You have to use a password vault. So guys, this is an opportunity. Perfect story. A lot of people may know about Plex. Perfect story to highlight why password reuse is a problem and an issue and, you know, how you can get around solving it, okay? 1Password is a good one. KeyPass is a good one. LastPass is a good one. 
I personally use Bitwarden. You choose your own adventure. But the, new, the, 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 the deal is don't, don't reuse passwords, okay? All right. Let me know, uh, Derek, Damian, Darcy, looking for the newsletter. Uh, let me know, guys, in chat or mods, please, if it doesn't pop up the, um, the, the uh, URL. I'll, I'll drop it in chat if it doesn't, but it's supposed to. Leaky Nick lights defeat air gaps. Dr. Mordecai Guri, the head of R&D in the Cybersecurity Research Center at Ben-Gurion University, published a new way to exfiltrate data from air gap systems called EtherLED. This uses LEDs on network interface cards to send data out of systems up to hundreds of meters away, depending on the line of sight. Data can be sent through simple Morse code or modulated over optical signals. Like all of these air gap defeating measures from Ben-Gurion U, this requires an attacker to breach the system and plant malicious code. In this case, the attack uses undocumented firmware commands to trigger the NIC lights. Suggested countermeasures for the attack include black tape to block the lights. Okay. All right, so check it out. Um, you know, it, all right, so this is one of those ones that will probably get pub. You might even hear, like, pub publicity. You may hear about this in the news. Um, attacking air gap networks. So for the people who are not familiar with that uh, terminology, Air gap networks are basically, uh, it's, a, it's a protection mechanism where a, a, a system or a group of systems are not network connected to the internet or to the larger infrastructure, right? So the idea behind it is pretty simple. Threat actor gets in your environment, they can't get to the sensitive set of data. They can't get to the, the Coke secret formula. They can't get to the OT controls. Stuxnet is a famous example of an air-gapped network which controlled a uranium enrichment plant that got compromised. And the way it was compromised is by a USB drive being plugged in to the air-gapped network, which had malware on it, okay? So every once in a while, you'll see these air-gapped network attacks, and it's always something kind of novel or whatever. In this story right here, this researcher was able to control the LED on uh, you know the board or whatever so like when you when you turn on your webcam and like the little green dot turns on that says your webcam's on effectively the researcher was able to use undocumented firmware commands so good on him for finding those undocumented commands he probably reversed the binary and found found the calls right there's definitely a command that turns the light on definitely a command that turns the light off right so basically if you can hook those commands and call them on demand you can basically pulse it and transmit Morse code, a known protocol standard for language. Now, while it can be done and you can put a camera on the LED and you can have the camera record and translate, right? The, the, the baud rate of this is pretty slow right you're not sending netflix streaming media you're not you're not air you're not pushing air gapped data and and streaming you know doctor strange multiverse of madness right like it's probably something around like i don't know say you know 60 bits a second maybe 45 bits a second i mean we're talking very very low network bandwidth but the idea is that it's an interesting attack because you can attack an air gap network so that that's that's all there is to it. Um, it's cool. Obviously, as they said, the workaround is to put 
electrical tape over the LED, effectively making it not visible. So you can't see whether or not the LED is on or off, but also a camera spying on the LED won't be able to interpret the Morse code. Pretty straightforward. James Driscoll asks, so if they have to plug in a USB to upload malware, why not just copy the drive and be done with it? I guess there's a conversation going on. I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but the USB drive had the malware on it uh, for Stuxnet. And basically, they needed a threat act. Or they needed an unknowing victim to plug it in. And you can you know, throw it in the parking lot and write <laughs> Bitcoin wallet on it. You could throw it in the parking lot and say, nudes, you know, whatever. Uh, Co's Mike Vibes actually points out that you could just break the light bulb. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Just as a fun, just as a fun little story, uh, I'll tell you, uh, a good buddy of mine in, in college bought like, you know, a $300 used car, right? Like for, you get what you get for 300 bucks. And he was, he was driving it, uh, home from the, from the dealership or whatever. And he saw like electrical tape on the, on the plexiglass that covers the speedometer, and all that. And he pulled it off and it said, check engine, the check engine light was on. The guy had just put electrical tape over it and he's like, huh. So he turns around, he drives back to the mechanic and he's like, bro, I just bought this car and the check engine light's gone. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get that. I'll get that. Let me, let me take it. So he drives the car in the back, like five minutes later, the car comes back and my buddy gets in the car and the check engine light's not on. And he looks really close and he sees a pinprick. Uh, the mechanic took a drill with a drill bit and just drilled through the plexiglass and drilled right through the LED and did what he said. The check engine light's no longer on. My buddy was like, I guess this is what you get for 300 bucks. He drove that car for about a year uh, and then he it died and he just left it where it died. Uh, but these are fun stories. Now that you're done getting the daily cybersecurity blow-by-blow -blow news updates, it's- All right, so that's gonna do it for today's stream. We're at 10.39, so we're, uh, we're, we're committing to our 45-minute stream schedule. Uh, also, our- um, also, our 10 a.m. start for Tuesdays and Thursdays. Just a reminder, the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing happens every weekday at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, except on Tuesdays and Thursdays when I'm teaching. And I know that that makes it a little bit more complicated, but it's 8 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays for the fall semester. Okay, guys? Bear with me. I know it kind of jarred some of you. I know the numbers were lower today for the viewer count. Um, what? Do me a solid. Drop it in chat. I mean, it, you know, I'm willing to work with you guys to make this work. I can't. I'm teaching at eight, so I can't do it. But if you would prefer, if you would prefer somebody else doing the 8 a.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays in my place, maybe I can arrange that. Um, if you're fine with 10 a.m., then let's roll with that. You know, so. Uh, if you liked the 45-minute stream, holler at me and let me know. Um, I, I kind of like it. It's, it's, it's much more respective of everyone's time. But that's the deal. I want to tell everybody, guys, later today at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you probably recognize this guy because he's got some iconic photos on LinkedIn. Mike Miller is going to be my guest on Simply Cyber Live. It's a fireside chat. We're mostly going to be talking about breaking into cybersecurity. This dude is committed. He's a, a VC, so he's been working in information security for 25 years. Really cool guy. Really nice guy. Um, he's got some best practices, some tips. It's going to be very Q&A, like bring your questions. I know I saw some people talk about resume reviews in chat. Bring your questions. 
Let's have a good conversation. I think really, if you're looking to break into information security, this is going to be an amazing talk for you. If you are interested in helping others break into information security, which is kind of a, a tenant of Simply Cyber's community, there's going to be value here for everybody, okay? All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's stream. I want to thank all of you for being here today. I know the 10 a.m. was tough. I had a great time. Be good. I'm off to work. We'll see you out there. Cheers, everybody.